critical mass. That's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach critical mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs, opening up access to 2,000 of the world's largest financial institutions. Don't just take our word for it. Temenos Marketplace has just won Reader's Choice Best Emerging Innovative Technology Product and Service at the 2016 Banking Technology Awards. Join Temenos now. We make the money go round. Let's be honest. Most digital banking experiences just aren't that amazing. Learn how more than 180 banks worldwide, including Barclays, Deutsche Bank, and BBVA, innovate faster with Strands as their trusted fintech partner. To find out more, visit strands.com today. Welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. We've been downloaded in more than 150 countries and regularly hover near the top of the business category in iTunes, so thank you for listening, everyone. Fintech Insider is brought to you by the funky folks at 11FS, the fintech specialists helping financial services companies digitally transform into beautiful digital butterflies. I'm Simon Taylor, and I'm enjoyed by my 11FS colleague, David Breer. David, say hello. Hello. And we've got a full house today. What a lineup of guests we've got on our Africa special. We have got Brett Labouza, the CEO of WeChat Africa. Brett, hello. Hi, how are you? I am very well, sir. Thank you for being with us. And of course, we have Ron Webb, the Director of Financial Services at Safaricom. Uh, Ron, say hello. Hi. Ron, thank you for being with us. And of course, back with us once again, we have the superstar and co-creator of M-Pesa, Leslie Ann Vaughan. Thank you for joining us once more. Hello. Good for you to be here. Okay, so um, we've got a bit of a focus on fintech in Africa, but that's a pretty big place, right? I mean, there's, that's, there's a lot of nuance that's missing there. Because Africa is a pretty big place, I mean, Ron, I was hoping you could maybe set the scene for us a little bit and just kind of give us a view as to, you know, what are some of the major markets? What's the history been like across the continent? Um, and a few of the bits and pieces that, uh, you know, where do you operate and what does financial infrastructure look like in, in, across uh, different parts of Africa? if you would be so kind, Ron. Firstly, in terms of it being a big place, it seems whenever I travel, I bump into somebody who'll ask me, hey, I know so-and-so in Nigeria, do you know them? Um, or I know someone in Zambia, do you know them? Um, huge distances, large populations, and you know the, the variation on civil infrastructure, communications infrastructure, um, is, is very much a patchwork a- across our continent. So if I, if I start down where Brett is, down in the south of the continent, um, South Africa has a very well-established, um, very rich uh, banking infrastructure, financial services infrastructure, civil infrastructure um, that is pretty much unmatched anywhere in Africa until you get up to arguably Egypt and some of the other North African countries. And, and then country by country, you get a, a very different um, picture on financial services and, and availability of that. And it has been a journey moved up to Kenya some 17 years ago. And when we arrived in Kenya, um, here we found a country with four times the population of my home country, Zimbabwe, but less than a quarter of the physical points of presence, banking infrastructure. Banks at the time were making money on commercial services, corporate banking, and weren't that interested on, on retail services. And good grief, how has that changed in the last 17 years? It's, it's now enormous. Country by country, um, there are 
improvements in pretty much all of them. And uh, not, not many have reached the same kind of relative scale that we've got in Kenya, but pleased to see um, different markets making headway in different ways and quite often for different reasons. Um, if I look back again at Zimbabwe, the big emergence of mobile money there with EcoCash has largely been driven by the lack of banknotes. The lack of physical money has driven electronic payments and e-value payments uh, quite enormously. That's really, really compelling, Ron. And thank you for kind of giving us that overview, I guess. Uh, Leslie, I'm um, keen here. When we recently interviewed the CEO of Monzo, Tom Blomfeld, uh, you said uh, previously you were amazed by the similarities between a challenger bank in the UK like Monzo and what you see happening in, in emerging markets. What, what were those similarities? Because I guess there are some key differences as well. Yeah. Well, there was, there's a lot of similarities. It, it just made me think back 10 years to when we were doing the whole Impassa thing. Um, he talked about how the, the engineers are working in hand in hand with the people who are deciding on this, that and the other in terms of design and features. And that's exactly what it was like in our team. We were building a full stack from ground zero. We had no code till we had code. And we built our platform. It's got the front end UX stuff, which is not as fancy as smartphone we can do these days. I mean, it's amazing what they've done in Monzo with the smartphone UX. We couldn't do that. But customer centricity was at our focus. And that ring, rings true with what, what Tom's vision is for, for Monzo. But that combined with what they're doing with the engineering stack is exactly where I saw so many similarities with what we did back in the day. And that's not typically what happens these days. Vodafone built their own stack. A lot of the guys are building are buying platforms these days from vendors. So the story is changing a lot. And that was what I mentioned with the frustrations as well. For us to have that kind of tech that Tom is building translated into the African context, there's so much that we could play with. And so much opportunity from digital technology mm. across that continent. And and I guess um, from you know, modern fintech and finance and digital, that opportunity seems boundless. And, and an area where you know opportunity and, and you know, payments and mobile and digital really came together, uh, you know, the case study of the past decade has to be WeChat. And Brett, as the CEO of WeChat Africa, what opportunities are you really seeing for you know kind of mobile and digital to, to transform people's lives? And, and you know what does that mean to somebody on a day to day basis? What what do these services actually look like? I think that you know because these services are digital, I think it addresses some of the challenges that uh, that Ron was speaking about earlier. You know, speaking about the scale of Africa, it's something that shouldn't really easily be forgotten. Um, and because of the scale of the continent, I mean, the sheer geographic size, it means that the cost for rolling out infrastructure, apart from the fact that infrastructure rollout is now uh, more expensive than it may have been, uh, you know, 50 or 60 years ago when uh, most developed nations were busy um, finalizing and establishing their infrastructure, it's just the sheer geographical size um, that has to be contended with means that it's non-viable in many instances. So being able to digitize services and actually removing the need for physical infrastructure, I think is a fundamentally important opportunity that, uh, that is something we should be looking toward when we, we uh, use our digital platforms to deliver services to people. So for example, being able to move money person to person without having uh, any kind of physical infrastructure in between um, and the you know the case study of of uh, what's happened with Mpesa in, in Kenya is instrumental in this regard. It's it, it's transformed people's lives. 
um, and by finding ways to offset the need for physical infrastructure and using digital services to move value around, um, I think the opportunities are just uh, in many ways unprecedented on the continent. Although there's still a journey, I think. A big part of the Impesa story is actually the agent network. There is an infrastructure, but it's decentralized. And um, that cash story actually was a big part of Impesa's success. The fact that we were able to manage that decentralized network through decent processes, through through a real well-managed sales force was, was incredibly vital to that whole story. And I think it will be for quite a while in the African context. I 100% agree. I mean, I, I think what, what I was trying to get at is the, you know, having an agent on uh, sitting on a sidewalk who is authorized to take and give out cash uh, through a digital network could be seen as infrastructure, but it's not an ATM. And the cost of deploying an agent like that is minuscule in comparison. And I think that therein lies the opportunity. Exactly. That, that was the key. Whenever we designed the Impesa thing, the agent um, POS terminal was a Nokia 1100. It cost us 10, 10 pounds and we handed it to him. Definitely. And, and recent research done by Prof Tavnit and uh, with association with Georgetown University, what we were really struck with was how the density of agents has a direct correlation to financial inclusion and the uplifting of people out of extreme poverty. And, you know, it was literally, they were looking at it down to, if, if you had an agent within 10 meters, how much better are they accessing financial services than if it's two kilometers away? Ron, you, you kind of speak to something there that is you know, truly different. You wouldn't expect to see that in, in the Western and a, a developed economy where you know, the, the agent is the, the impact and the agent network is where the impact is. But even we do have it here in the UK. When you look at Collect Plus, right, and Amazon Locker services, that's about decentralized services. Mm. And that's our parallel here in, in, in the UK where you can go and you can pay bills at your local supermarket now and you can go to your petrol station and do stuff. You know, that's our parallel effectively. Well, and I think it's a it's a digital service that's been fronted by a human yeah, being, isn't exactly. it? So you exactly have all that. of the cost efficiencies of uh, what digital actually brings you. And, you know, often we, we talk about what actually is a, a digital organization or, or a digital bank. And that doesn't mean yeah. it's... Uh, a, people um, free. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's <laughs> no people. It doesn't mean it's only a, a digital interface that you deal with, but that the processes that are actually invoked are consistent that they are digital services in themselves so uh, yeah really really interesting point it's, a, it's an interesting point about distribution as well sort of how do you change that distribution model from it must be branches it must be banks to an agent can be anybody with a specific set of skills and a specific uh, set of tools but it changes the business model as well you've got to think about how you're going to incentivize the agent to do the right things and to actually sell your products and how how do they how do they get trained? How do they get activated? And how do they really succeed in their little business? Yeah. And and that's been a big part of the puzzle that Safaricom's had to deal with 10 years now. I was going to say, Ron, um, in Safaricom, uh, how do you think about that? Yeah, definitely. And and for us, the, the job creation, the impact uh, mm. to our economy is enormous. Uh, you know, in the, in the last year, we distributed over 17 billion shillings, um, roughly 100 to 1 on the US dollar, out to agents in terms of commissions. And that creates you know, hundreds of thousands of jobs. Um, the recent value proposition survey that was done by, by an external auditor um, showed how Safaricom creates some 860,000 jobs in, in the Kenyan economy. Now, given the growth of the population, we've got just on a million people entering the workforce every year. We need a new Safaricom, a new Impesa every year just to provide mm -hmm. 
income and, and employment for all those people coming in. Um, it, it's, it's a critical part of our economy here. Ron, that's a, a really key point. We've been joined by uh, Gerard Coetzee, the Lead Financial Services Specialist at CGAP. Gerard, could you introduce CGAP a little bit and talk about you know, what are some of the challenges that you see around financial inclusion across, across the African continent specifically? Thanks, Simon. Uh, good to be here. Um, CGAP is a, uh, an organization with about 34 members that uh, promotes financial inclusion, invest in financial inclusion across the world. And our job is basically to uh, conceptualize, to uh, demonstrate, and to get things to scale um, in financial inclusion. Now, across Africa, we, we see a similar problem than the rest of the world, uh, and that is the problem that we open accounts. We are getting good with that. I mean, if you just think about uh, M-Pesa as a, as a great example of a massive sort of growth in accounts and we've seen between 2011 and 2014 721 million accounts opened across the world but the problem is the majority of those accounts are not used and uh, if they're not used there's no business case for uh, providers to actually provide that service so the question and the challenge is how do you get uh, uh, people to use the accounts and how do you make the business cases work for these providers now, I mean, Kenya and uh, Safaricom and M-Pesa is, is a great example, but it's a, it's a, it's a very successful uh, country and a successful project, mm-hmm. so to speak. But that's not the case in the rest of the world. Indeed. And so, right, I want to bring you back in here as, as somebody looking at it from a, a, a you know, digital platform perspective. With, with WeChat, are there other use cases outside of just sending and moving money between people that become key for people to really adopt financial services and financial inclusion? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've we've run a number of experiments in uh, the South African markets emulating what's been going on in China. Um, and one of the primary ways that WeChat is used is actually person-to-merchant payments, uh, using your phone uh, to process the payment instead of carrying a card or a wallet. I mean, some of my colleagues in China have said to me, you know, they, they've not taken their wallet with them on an outing in months. Um, so this idea of encapsulating what it is you need your wallet for at physical piece of leather with cards and cash in it and completely digitizing that and putting the functionality into your phone i think this is an absolute key direction for how the future will play out and it's one of the key ways that digital money can actually be used and then another interesting one is in partnership with stuff magazine we ran an initiative in south africa over the last six months where you could buy product by scanning a qr code directly on the page of a magazine advert and then it is shipped to you in an e-commerce way so or via e-commerce channels so what we're doing here is creating multiple channels for wallet usage apart from just person-to-person money send. And it's it's proving extremely successful for us. So I think the idea that cash can become completely digitized as well on its way. I think, Brett, that's a really key point. Cash can be completely digitized and there are a whole bunch of other services that you can start to deliver on the back of that. If you think about Safaricom and uh, and you think how well they've done stuff, the deal with uh, Commercial Bank of Africa, etc., that's like a one-on-one thing. And where it is extremely important uh, now is to see whether you can create these partnerships in mass. So not only on a one-on-one thing, but sort of going for uh, 
for systems and approaches where you actually create vast partnerships by opening up systems, etc. And I think that is the big challenge for us in Africa, is how do we do this? And I may repeat something you said earlier because I wasn't on, but, um, but uh, the question is, how do you put these together? And how do you ensure that you have a sort of continuous growth in terms of the people that really work with the poor, that really touch the poor and the, the users? And, and how do you link them into uh, the bigger systems? And I think there's a, a great opportunity for all of us to, uh, to innovate and to think about that. Yeah, so there's a, there's a partnerships piece yeah, missing here. Absolutely. There's a partnerships between you know, large organizations who are in region, who are perhaps trying to supply medicine or trying to supply transport yeah. or just trying to do e-commerce or supermarkets and these this new generation of payment services for a whole generation of people who never had a bank account but might have some sort of payment app or, yeah. or something along those lines. Would you say that's fair? That's exactly it, and and I think uh, if we if we speak about Africa, we may have to think carefully what in Africa is uh, specific and different than other parts of the world. Um, if you think about Latin America, it was very much a sort of bank and a bank expansion mm-hmm. uh, kind of play. In Africa, we think it is a mobile mm-hmm. network operator play, but I do see the sort of banks coming through now. They're always a little bit slower than the other guys, but I do see them coming through and also entering this market, looking at this, looking at what they can do to create partnerships. But that's also why there's such a nice parallel between what, what's going on in the UK with Monzo and their vision versus what's actually happened in, in East Africa and Kenya with Safaricom's partnership with KCB and with yeah. CBA. You know, they're a place where they bring the customers and, and the stickiness and the, the user experience, but the products are banking products. And, and I think yeah. when you look at the user interface, it now looks like a little loan marketplace inside the Safaricom um, user interface. Mm. So you can see the potential for expansion. So what we need then is, is you know, there's a macro trend here that we're seeing regardless of geography, which is a move towards marketplaces in which the core of it is a, a store of account and an ability to move money. But if it's WeChat and it's, you know, and it's relationships with magazines and QR codes or, you know, as is done in China with taxis and flower delivery services and so on, or if it's Safaricom and, you know, international money transfer and some of the other banks getting involved or, or even Barclays and, and what they're attempting to do in, in South Africa, everyone seems to be trending towards towards this partnership model. I wonder if there are um, some great examples or stories you've seen, Leslie, of, of that working well, you know, like a use case or, or a story where somebody's done this well? The partnership model? Yes. Uh, there's loads of them in, in, in Kenya. Maybe Ron's probably a better place to talk about the, the Safaricom stories of partnerships. The end-to-end customer journey as well. So what does that look mm. like? Because people always tell the story of Uber as being the taxi company where the car just turns up and you never need a card or cash. Are there some mm. end-to-end customer journeys, Ron, that um, that become about because of this marketplace approach? Yeah, okay. So let me, let me pick one that's been spoken about quite a bit in the past, but is a, something we're incredibly proud of here. And that's our partnership with MCOPA. And MCOPA have basically turned solar energy into a pay-as-you-go proposition. Folk who are off-grid here, and only about 23% of Kenyans are on the formal electricity grid. The rest are off-grid. And that has all kinds of profound impacts on schooling, on the ability to create additional income, um, just the whole lifestyle is, is is affected by lack of electricity. It inhibits the growth of smartphones. Um, I can go on and on. 
What Encopa did is they've used the GSM infrastructure of Safaricom and the payment infrastructure of M-Pesa to basically allow customers to take their hardware, um, which is a solar-powered energy box that drives lights, can drive a radio, can drive a television, and they allow you to pay for that per day at about 50 US cents per day. If you pay, the lights are on. If you don't pay, the lights are off. And it's a great model because it, it, it's exactly that, what we call the Kodogo economy. Um, here in Kenya, um, many folk, the majority of folk are going out, they're not buying a large bar of soap, they're buying perhaps a third of a bar of soap. They're buying a small tin of charcoal to, to cook on, if that's the way they cook. Everything is sold in small sachets, tiny amounts. And the income and allocation cycle of poorer folk is way, way faster than what you and I would do. You know, we, we'd go out to the supermarket, go to Tesco in the UK or our Nakamats here in Kenya and do our grocery shopping for the week or perhaps the month. That is not the norm for the majority of people in Africa. They're living literally, hand to mouth is perhaps the wrong term, but as income comes in, they're using it. When they go to the market, they don't buy all their product from one vendor. They're buying the, from the cheapest possible place. So they're buying their, their Rogali, which is their maize uh, staple um, porridge input from one vendor. They're buying their um, Sukumawiki, which is a spinach relish they'll make from another vendor. Uh, I mentioned the charcoal they'll buy from a third. So lots and lots of these micro payments, very, very small. Some 85% of payments here are below $5. And, and just on 50% or below $2, 200 shillings. So these very small amounts of money. And MCOPA matched that Kodogo economy with a business model that clearly makes sense for folk. And they've got hundreds of thousands now of these solar energy systems installed in people's homes, giving them hours of additional light, access to information, access to television and radio, which they would not otherwise have had. That wouldn't have worked without a number of combining technologies. Um, firstly, GSM, and then secondly, the, the payment infrastructure we provided with APIs, etc., on M-Pesa. Ron, I think you're absolutely right. Well, I love that you brought it up because I keep mentioning Copa when I'm talking to the guys from Fintech Insiders, and it's lovely that somebody else is as well. I think it even goes further than that because they've effectively turned themselves into a digital asset financing company. They do layaway loans. They do this, they do that, they do the other. It's far more now than just a solar company because sure. they've got that asset in the house that you can then you know, do all kinds of credit scoring stuff against. And I think they've got a real, really fantastic future in in that digital finance space where they are a partner of yours in a financial sense as well as also in a they're using your apis it's both sides but the other thing i was thinking of as you were saying that you know when you buy um your electricity effectively from mcopa solar you you have to come in of one experience out of another experience and i think there's a future there where the two systems could play together far more interactively a bit more a bit more like you see i guess Today, there was an example in the press here. TransferWise has set up a chatbot in, in Facebook, Facebook Messenger. Mm. It'd be lovely if Mcopa customers could have a chat with Mcopa and decide how much to buy and then do APIs and all sorts of things. I think there's a little bit of customer experience transformation that we could see to make it a bit more Uber-like, a bit more kind of seamless and frictionless. But my goodness, it's an amazing example today of, of what, what is going on in, in Africa. Leslie Ann, watch this space. <laughs> but let us, I know. <laughs> let, let us come full circle and then I'll add something else. Um, so here's the uh, Nick Hughes standing on the stage chatting about M. Coppa and then he says, 
You know, technology is 20% of the game here. 80% of the game is like hard sweat distribution again, like what, what, what well, you exactly, guys right? mentioned. And, and, and this is the big thing, that technology is a small thing. And the question I have uh, is how do, we, how do we bring the customer along in this journey? How well, do we exactly. not leave the customer behind? Yes. And, I, and that's a massive challenge. So I think that's where the world can change quite a lot in mm. this space too, because we've got various fintechs doing things in farming space, but a lot of farming customers are are also in Copa customers. So there's ways mm -hmm. that the two two fintechs could kind of work together yeah. with, with digital distribution and bringing customers to each other and all sorts of things that, that we might be able to see in the future. So Brett, tell us a little bit about um, how you would think about some of these distribution challenges because I think Gerard raises a really good point. Digital offers us opportunities, but we've got to bring the customer with us. You've got to bring the person who's using these services with us. You know, what do, what do you see as the opportunities out in front of us? So it depends on which vertical or environment we're speaking about specifically, you know. So we, we've been speaking quite a lot during this podcast about digital money. When it comes to digital money, the distribution network is there. We, we have cellular networks and cellular telephones that can actually provide the distribution network for this kind of thing. But when it comes to physical product, physical architecture, partnerships are the only way we can actually achieve anything meaningful in Africa because there's certain fundamental things that just aren't in place, you know. But let me say, for example, if, if uh, you need medicines delivered, um, perhaps the right way to be thinking about it is partnering up with people who have existing distribution networks like Coca-Cola. I mean, this, this is a company that is particularly good at distribution. So uh, do they have an appetite to partner up uh, for something that is non-competitive, for products that are non-competitive with them? And I think possibly yes. So I, I think there's ways for us to think creatively about how to actually solve distribution, but there's no question when it comes to physical product, this is one of the big challenges in Africa. And I mean, there's some pretty exciting stuff happening from a technology point of view. You know, I, I don't know if we, we necessarily want to go down the path of talking about drone delivery uh, initiatives, but, uh, you know, I'm sure some of you have seen in the press that there are experiments going on with uh, drone delivery uh, uh, as a, a mechanism for moving medicine around the continent. And I think that, uh, you know, these kinds of things will definitely happen, but scaling this up, uh, one of the grand challenges we all face. May I jump in before before the guys who actually do it? Uh, so maybe Brett can tell us because in in the WeChat that I've looked at, the China and Chinese WeChat, I mean all of these services are integrated in WeChat and people purchase and order and shop etc. through a through a messaging platform, and maybe maybe they have plans also to see how they can roll this out in uh, Southern Africa and Africa. So so Brett, there's a challenge for you in terms of David's question. <laughs> yeah, I 100% agree. Um, you know, so th for me, the, the way that we try to, to think about this is, you know, if, if it is possible for a product to be digitized, then the distribution challenge is solved for the most part. Um, you know, if you think of music, uh, distribution of music is not a problem in Africa. <laughs> Piracy of music is a huge problem in Africa. But distribution is no longer a challenge because the product has been fully digitized. So when we talk about digital cash and think about what banking infrastructure is actually for, it's been built upon the idea that uh, securing cash and moving cash around is necessary. So if that becomes unnecessary because the product can be digitized, it opens all sorts of opportunity. And I think that there's, 
it's really important to think about the fundamentals behind why infrastructure is important uh, in the first world and why it may or may not be important in the African context. Is there something, um, I, I guess I'll throw this one to Ron, about the fact that you know fintech isn't so much disrupting the financial industry in Africa so much as building a financial industry across a lot of Africa. And because you're building it without, you know, without much legacy, the way you're building it by default is digital. The way you're building it is as a platform, is with partners baked in. And do you think there's something that, you know, more incumbent institutions can actually learn from the approach that, Ron, you've taken at Safaricom and, and Brett's taking with WeChat? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we, we had this huge advantage out here that we were building entirely new if, if I can use payment rails, um, you know, laying them fresh in the bush, not having to run on existing rails with legacy business models and legacy revenue expectations, as has been the case with things like Apple Pay and other markets. Um, that's been a, a huge advantage for us and extremely liberating. It has allowed us to run ahead and, and get to this enormous scale that we have had. Ron, we actually met a long, long time ago and you were part of a payment switch at that point and we were innovating with you as a partner back in 2007. Ron came to us with the idea, should we have cardless ATM transactions? Can we do withdrawals from an ATM from your Impesa account without, without cards? I mean, that, that was fundamentally one. Yeah, so I think we had, we had the first one. cardless ATM yeah. dual service running. Mm. I mean, yeah, I mean, but who would have thought, right? You know, but that was because Impesa existed. We needed withdrawal services and you had ATMs. You know, that's a partnership. That's the definition of a partnership. It's it's hugely, hugely impressive what's been achieved. And I think, um, Brett, I, I want to ask you the question first, and I'll, I'll go around and ask everybody, what excites you about what you're seeing um, in, in the next sort of five to 10 years? What are the opportunities out there? And, and you know, is there anything that's exciting you at the moment? Well, I, honestly, everything we've been discussing excites me. You know, the idea that we are in a position to provide digital tools that promotes financial inclusion for Africa and helps Africans to facilitate and manage their own businesses um, and do it seamlessly without the dependency on legacy infrastructure is incredibly exciting. I th and, and we've seen this time and time again that the, you know, the, the, I, I guess that there seems to be the perspective in many territories that there is a lack of sophistication on our continent. Um, but when you see the innovation that comes out of African people for Africans, uh, just when technology like a mobile phone becomes available to them for the first time, I think that in Africa, we are going to see some of the most unbelievable innovations in the mobile and fintech space uh, that, and in many ways, will lead the charge for how these products are deployed globally. Leslie, is there anything you'd add to that? Or is there any anything you've seen recently that's really excited you as well? <laughs> um, there's a lot of change happening in terms of interoperability, in terms of APIs, in terms of open APIs, all kinds of things that I'm, I'm excited to see what will happen in the next year to two years. I think there's potential for customer experience innovation further. And we've got smartphones just starting to penetrate into East Africa in a, in a way that is, you know, more of our customers have them. It's a way, way off being, being the kind of penetration you see elsewhere. But we've got to be ready for that. And we've got to start innovating for that kind of 
transformation, but we've got to do it in a way that it works with people who've never used a smartphone before, the way that 10 years ago they never used a feature phone before. Mm. You know, so the way that we do our, our app development, it needs to speak to the niches, it needs to speak to the people's um, direct pain points. And that's where I think the API um, will help us not be completely focused on one size fits all. Yeah. Absolutely. Jason Bates, who's not with us today, but from 11FS, wrote a blog post recently saying that uh, APIs are not about banking and they're not about technology. I love that blog. I absolutely loved it. He was entirely right. And I think, um, you know, Ron, when I think about Impressor, I I don't think about uh, technology and I don't think about banking. I think about solving people's problems. Mm -hmm. Are there things in APIs that are that can solve problems for people in in that platform space? Because, you know, there's a lot of talk in Europe about PSD2. What should banks really learn from what what could be happening? uh, You know, and financial services players generally learn from what's happening across Africa in the API space. Yes, yeah, so it, we're still pretty new on the API space. We've had um, a series of APIs since, pretty much since we since we began. Um, the first generation of our platform pretty much didn't have any, um, and it's just exploding now. Um, we're busy putting in a new um, managed API interface layer, which would make it even more open and faster for people to get in. And I think the real benefit there is 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 it takes the responsibility for innovation out of our hands alone and just democratizes it. There are thousands, if not tens of thousands of entrepreneurial, young, smart, bright guys and girls out there with ideas to create all kinds of apps and application services that require payment um, technology to underpin that and to monetize their effort. Opening that up in such a a wide and easy to to work with manner, um, are we going to see innovation and mashups between different services that we can't even begin to foresee now? Um, I'm hugely excited by that. I'm also extremely excited by how we're going to see an increasing daily relevance of payments in people's lives. Uh, we started off talking earlier about P2P um, transactions, and, and those have been hugely important and have been the bedrock of what M-Pesa became. But you only send money P2P to your relatives or people that you're supporting on a periodic basis, but you do merchant payments every single day and many of them. And the increasing use of e-value in those day-to-day payments will increase daily relevance and create even more opportunity for these APIs that, that we're talking about. That, Ron, that's hugely significant, being relevant to people's lives on a day-to-day basis and being relevant to the problems that they have. And Gerard, I know that's something that's near and dear to your heart. Mm-hmm. As you look at what we're going to see over the next five years, it, what is what does the next five years look like from from your perspective in terms of financial inclusion and really helping people with their day to day challenges and dealing with some of the distribution issues as well? No, oh, that's a mouthful. Eh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, firstly, I'm not a I'm not a techie. So I'm sitting here, and everybody around me has computers with little stickers on it, and etc. And I've got we, nothing we can get on you mine. Some stickers. Don't I've worry, got nothing fine. on mine. But <laughs> but the point for me is that you guys are abs- absolutely part of the future solution and it's and and I'm, I want to link to what Ron said for, for me it is about building those sort of open ecosystems that people can actually stitch together solutions that we don't even see today because we're not on the ground and we're not facing all of these things ourselves and we're not seeing the solutions and you're opening those systems for people to bring the solutions in these sort of uh, and we, we, we use words quite easily, partnerships, you know, but, but sort of real 
the partnerships that are driven by incentives to participate and to share. And that brings me to the second point is the business model around this. Uh, I have a very strict rule which I apply when I look at things. I said, is there a business model for the client? In other words, is there value for the client in what we do? And if there's value for the client, is there value for the firm and for that partnership and for all that you stitch together, right? And then eventually, uh, we believe that there will be value for society uh, if you if you can answer those two ticks. But but it's a it's it's a massive ask. And as we go on, the question is, who do we leave behind? I mean, who are the people that are really excluded and we can't reach with what we are doing here? And we believe that the innovation and the technology and those people on the ground, the people that Ron refers to as the sort of the African inventors, those people will, will provide the answers. But we have to give them access and we have them to bring them to the party and may even have to invest in them to sort of empower them to participate in a, in a level playing field here. And, uh, but I see the solution lies in the combination of those things. And in that way, we will solve the inclusion question. That's a really interesting point, Garrett. And I think that's a fantastic place to leave it because it summed it up really nicely for us. There's nothing left for me to do but thank uh, Brett Labuza, the CEO of WeChat Africa. Brett, thank you so much for being with us. Ron Webb, the Director of Financial Services at Safaricom Limited. Leslie Ann Vaughan, the co-creator of Empisha. And of course, Gerard Coetzee, the uh, Lead Financial Sector Specialist at CGAP. So thanks for listening, everybody. If you like what you heard, uh, feel free to subscribe to our podcast at Fintech Insiders. FintechInsider.com is where you can learn more about the episodes leave us a review on itunes of course this helps people discover us and if you like what you've heard why not tell a friend good blogs you should check out this week on 11fs.co.uk there is the 11 banks doing apis better than you uh, which you might want to look into and of course apis they're not about banking and they're not about tech they're about end-to-end customer journeys that's all for now speak to you next week bye